and we are live with Detachment 075. Welcome to the ninth episode of the Detachments podcast. It is a beautiful morning here in sunny San Diego. I am Cadet Third Class Jarian Gihama. Alongside with me is my co-host Cadet Captain Juiz. And we are Third Class King Horn here in the episodes. And also we have Cadet Third Class Brian Soranosos. Welcome on, guys. So for today's episode, we have a retired services personnel with an emphasis of force logistics and readiness. So without further ado, I would like to introduce and welcome Master Sergeant Ken Escobar. Welcome on, sir. Well, thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate your time and effort in putting this together. Uh, it's an honor to be here uh, this morning. Well, it's uh, evening at my time, but uh, definitely again, uh, thank you. Uh, so again, uh, my name is a uh, Retired Master Sergeant Ken Escobar. I'm um, a military veteran of uh, 20 years. I retired uh, last year. Uh, my background in the Air Force was a uh, services personnel, as uh, Cadet Garen mentioned. Uh, and I've traveled a, uh, and I traveled and experienced a lot of places throughout the world. I've been through um, Korea, Japan, Hawaii, Egypt, uh, Kuwait. Qatar, um, Germany, and Netherlands. So I, I've been I've been through a, a lot of uh, places and TDY and assignments, and I can't say that you know that the Air Force has did me wrong. But I definitely uh, enjoyed my time, and uh, so I, again, uh, that you know that that's uh, that's my background a little bit about my background. I'm from also uh, I was born in uh, Fort Hood, Texas. Uh, but I call uh, San Diego, California as my home, as where all my family is right now. And uh, so I'll just say uh, I have two places, and but my real home is uh, Fort Hood, Texas. Nice. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on, sir. And it definitely seems like you've been all over the airport. So I'm definitely going to ask you later on like about your time in Hawaii, because that's definitely interesting to me. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yep. Thank you so much for that introduction, Master Sergeant Escobar. So now moving in, uh, your ranking is E7, Master Sergeant, uh, meaning for those cadets listening in that you are a senior non-commissioned officer. And relating this back to the purpose of the podcast, it's to give ROTC cadets at home uh, a sense of the fields in which uh, airmen work in, uh, and as well relating this back to the officer fields. Um, so relating this to our detachments cadets who are soon to be officers, what officer field did you relate to most? So we can give this episode some clarity. So yeah, so definitely, yeah. So being being in, uh, I'll take uh, force support. Being force support, right? Uh, I, you know, I, I deal with a lot of officers and um, uh, high-ranking officials. Being a support support, mainly, uh, what we do is, you know, we, we ensure we take care of the airmen. We're taking care of families. Uh, you know, we're, we're taking every uh, taking care of everything that's on the base that you know that needs to uh, thrive on the base and uh, to function. Um, with that said, you know, the, the responsibility of the force support officer uh, really is just to make sure that, you know, the mission is, is still going, uh, you know, whether that be security forces, because they have their own uh, mission that needs to be done. And, you know, we help, we help them, uh, you know, uh, secure the base. We also have civil engineers that, you know, uh, that will also help, you know, support the base, you know, getting everything uh, structured up and, and you know, with force support, you know, it's, it's our job to assist in that uh, aspect as well. So you'll see a lot of um, officers helping out 
um, and understanding the missions uh, throughout uh, each agency and, and squadrons. So uh, with, with, with that said, you know, uh, there's a lot of input that needs to be uh, had, you know, with the force support uh, as far as, you know, when, when our meals gonna be provided, uh, when our housing or lodging is gonna be provided, when our fitness times uh, gonna be provided, because those are all things that really needs to happen uh, in order for, you know, that uh, security forces member out there or the aircraft maintainer that's out in the airfield, you know, when are they going to eat? Uh, when are they going to be able to go back to their dorms and, you know, get a good night rest? Um, you know, they also need to get, you know, fitness uh, trained. So when are they going to be able to go to the fitness center? And so there's a lot of things that happens and, and goes on with that. And then also uh, with that too is, um, you know, that the families need to be taken care of too as well. And so it's ultimately, uh, you know, up to force support to say, well, you know, uh, we'll take care of your family while you're out there, you know, turning wrenches on the aircraft or, you know, posting guard on the, uh, on the perimeter. Um, you know, everyone want to know, you know, are, are the family safe? Are they being taken care of? And so, you know, with that force support, you know, is there to support, you know, whether with helping, uh, you know, with the morale welfare and recreation for families, you know, hosting Thanksgiving meals, hosting uh, military spouses, um, you know, the, then you also got the Air Force readiness uh, program for uh, families to, you know, get, uh, you know, information uh, about military life. So, you know, all that is uh, tied into a force support, which, you know, uh, helps, you know, airmen and uh, families, you know, uh, function and, and move on with, it, with their life. Oh, wow, definitely. So it seems like no matter where we're duty stationed at, we're always going to interact with you guys one way or another. Yes, definitely. Yes. So thank you, sir. And I know you mentioned it in the beginning with, you know, Fort Hood and San Diego. And so I guess we're just going to go all the way back to the beginning here. Growing up, um, you know, what interested you in the military? Were you part of any, like, did you do JROTC, Civil Air Patrol, uh, any family members? Um, what, what influenced you to join the military and specifically uh, the Air Force? Yeah, sure. No, no problem. Uh, well, uh, well, you know, uh, my background growing up, I uh, come from a military uh, family. So I'm a military brat myself. Um, you know, my, my real dad, he was in the Army. He was stationed out in Fort Hood. Um, and then, uh, you know, my, my mom got divorced and, you know, married, remarried again. And then my stepfather, which, you know, I really call my father, uh, he was in the Marines. And, you know, uh, uh, you know I, I, really, I already want to give a, a shout out to him, you know, uh, Master, Sergeant, uh, Master Sergeant Robert Dixon, you know, my stepdad, uh, calling my dad, uh, has been in the Marines for 30 years. Uh, and I looked up to him um, and, you know, he, he really, you know, uh, took care of me and my family, um, my sister and my mom growing up. Uh, and so, you know, I was like, you know, really looked up to him. Uh, you know, he was always, you know, deployed. And, you know, I was like, man, dang, that's, that's no hard task, no easy job uh, to do. But, you know, ultimately, um, you know, what really inspired me was the, uh, to join the military was uh, uh, one of the programs where I went through uh, JRTC in high school, uh, so I did Marines, and that really inspired me to kind of like, man, I wanna, I wanna join the, I wanna join the uh, military. You know, I want, I really wanted to join the Marines, believe it or not. Um, you know, just kind of follow, follow my dad's footsteps and just say, you know, well, 
man, I want to get that nice press uniform, that sharp looking blues, you know, you know, it looks, you know, it looks pretty sharp, you know, and, uh, but, you know, that, that really kind of drove me to, you know, say, well, you know, what? I want to, I want to join the, the Marines. Uh, so I, I told my dad, I was like, you know, um, you know, hey, uh, I'm going to sign this paperwork. I just need your, uh, I need your, I need your consent that I'm going to be joining. So this is uh, probably uh, my senior year of actually uh, beginning of senior year. And I was just finishing up my junior year. Um, and at this time, my, my dad, uh, he was a drill instructor uh, for the Marines on Paris Island. Right. So, um, so uh, a recruiter came to my house and I was like, I was going home. I was ready to go. I was like, yes. I was like, I want to be able to go to the Marines. You know, I, I took my ASVAB and, you know, I was like, uh, this is it right here. I'm going to get that cool uniform. You know, I was like, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. You know, I might be in his platoon one day. Uh, but my dreams were shot down. You know, my dad came home. Uh, my mom was crying. You know, she's like, she's like, no, you're not, you're not joining. You know, you're going to be deployed a lot. You know, going to be out in the battlefield. I'm like, I, I'm, I'm going to be a grown man. I'm, you know, don't worry about me. I'm, I'm fine. But, uh, you know, my, my dad put a stop to that. He came home, uh, you know, kick the door down, uh, you know, the, the, the recruiter was standing up and, you know, my dad had his uh, drill sergeant cap on and, you know, that, that recruiter was scared. And, you know, it was like, he told, he told him, get your ass out of here, excuse my language, you know, but <laughs> he said, get your ass out of here. You're not recruiting, uh, you're not recruiting my son, you know, get out. Uh, and that was it. And I was like, wow, I was like, man, that's, that sucks, you know, and, uh, no, I, was, I was bummed out. I was, I was a little bit upset, you know, and, uh, you know, my dad was, you know, my dad sat down with me and talked to me about it and said, you know, if you really want to join the military, uh, you know, uh, join the Air Force. Um, and then I was like, you know, I was like, you know, Air Force, you know, I was like, yeah, I don't want to be a pilot, you know, I, I want to be, I want to do what you're doing, you know, and uh, he's like, no, he's like, if you, if you want, you know, good education, best education, quality of life, you know, join, join the Air Force. And then, so I was like, wow, all right, well, okay. So a year passed and then we moved out to California and then uh, he took me down to a recruiter. And then uh, he was like, well, um, you know, I'm gonna take you down to the recruiter and we're gonna go uh, sign up for the Air Force. And then, so, you know, at that time, you know, uh, you know, in my, in the back of my head, I was like, still like, man, I still wanted to be in the Marines. I really wanted to follow your footsteps. But really, you know, uh, what really opened my eyes was uh, when my when my dad talked to me. He's like, you know, I was like, uh, you know, your mom can't afford to have both of us in the Marines. You know, if you're if, if I'm gone and you're gone, and you know, there's no one to come, and you know, none of us, both of us, doesn't come home. Um, you know, what would your mom think about that? And you know, that kind of opened my eyes a little bit, and you know, opened my mind. You know, I was like, okay, yeah, I, I see your point. I, I get it. I understand, you know, so, uh, you know, ultimately it was, a, you know, the, the, the route I took, you know, I kind of accepted, you know, I want to be in the Air Force and just say, okay, you know what, I'll, I'll join the Air Force, you know, um, and then, you know, from there, you know, it was 20 years after that. And, you know, I, I enjoyed everything about it, you know, the quality of life, the, the education, um, the, the places I've been, the people I've interacted with, uh, I've worked with, um, and uh, a lot of uh, job experience that came with that. So definitely, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad my, my dad, you know, steered me in that direction. 
and you know go go air force right yeah for sure thank you sir uh definitely interesting how life turns out sometimes so you had um basically already touched on it as to why you joined the air force but why did you go specifically enlisted instead of um pursuing the officer route yeah sure uh no worries uh well you know thanks for asking that question um you know i you know i actually uh, when I first, uh, signed up to be uh, signed up for the Air Force, I actually wanted to be uh, an officer. Uh, you know, I also wanted to be a pilot too, as well. Uh, and so I was like, well, you know, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna be in the Air Force, and you know, if you know all the commercials and all the things I heard about it was, you know, uh, you know, Air Force guys are pilots, most of them. So I was like, oh, okay, well, uh, you know, that kind of interested me. Is uh, you know, I wanted to be a pilot too. So I talked to. Re- to the recruiter and, you know, kind of ask, you know, well, you know, uh, I'm going to be enlisted. So, you know, what, what's my, uh, what will be my achievement or my, my glide path, you know, to go into the officer corps. Um, so, um, you know, so, you know, they talked to me about it, you know, there'll be, you know, opportunities for me to um, cross over to, I guess, the dark side, right. That's a call to the, the Air Force side. Um, so uh, cross over to the officer side, right. Um, so, you know, I, I signed up, you know, with that intention, you know, okay, well, you know, the first couple of years after my, uh, you know, uh, being enlisted or, or being actually in an active duty, you know, I was going to sign up to take up classes and, you know, uh, fulfill all the requirements to go through, um, you know, officer candidate school, right? Because that was one of the uh, programs uh, where, uh, where you can uh, become an officer uh, as an enlisted going through that route. There's other routes too as well, um, and but you know it's always ever changing and evolving. But at that time, uh, it was a uh, you know uh, OCS. You know that was, that was the kind of route I wanted to take. Um, you know during my time, and so uh, wanted to uh, get in the military as quickly as I can. Right, I wanted to get out there and you know kind of jump into things. So um, so that was the quickest uh, way I can you know go through the officer route, um, but. So a couple of years had passed, you know, I was taking classes, you know, I, I finished all my uh, courses of, um, of my job, my specific job uh, for my career field. Uh, Cause you know, you would have to take those, uh, uh, what do you call it? Career development courses before you would take classes. So you finish up your CDCs before you could take college classes, which I did that. Um, you know, I, I completed all my CDCs and, you know, took a couple of classes, I finished one class. And so I, I was on my way. I was on track of, you know, okay, you know, I want to be an officer. But then, you know, a lot of things changed uh, in, um, you know, when uh, 9-11 happened, right? So when 9-11 happened, I was like, oh, wow. I was like, well, you know, I was like, I didn't, you know, I was, oh, yeah, I was devastated. I was like, man, is this really happening? You know, I was like, uh, I came into work one day and then I saw on the TV, I was like, man, that, you know, is that a movie? And But everyone was just quiet, uh, you know, at work. And I was like, man, I was like, uh, you know, and at that time I was just complaining. I was like, you know, I was like, you know, oh, I gotta be at work today. You know, I got some classes to take and, you know, people are just like, are you serious right now? And then I was just like, no, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm being serious, you know, and, and, you know, I got a lot of stuff to do for class. And then they were like, oh, you know, the, the World Trade Tower just got blown up. And I was like, are you serious? I was like, and, and, I, and I kept watching and then I was like, man, um, and then, yeah, I was just devastated. And then so uh, a few months uh, passed by 
uh, we were called to uh, go out on a deployment out to, you know, uh, LUD out in Qatar. You know, we're going to go out there and set up a, a, a base. Um, and then so, you know, from there, you know, I was like, well, you know, my route or, or my route or my chances of, you know, becoming an officer, uh, it's going to be kind of difficult, you know, during this time, you know, it's going to put a little bit of pushback, you know, because I'm out here deployed in the desert, you know, I can't really take any classes, I had to uh, drop a class, um, and then, you know, just focus on the mission, right. Uh, so, you know, from there, you know, when I got back, you know, I, I did my time there uh, in Qatar, you know, almost, you know, seven, six, seven months out there, I came back home, you know, uh, I, you know, I was still interested in becoming an officer, but um, by the time I came back home, uh, back to California, Bill, that was my first duty station. Um, I was at Bill Air Force Base. Uh, I came back and then, uh, you know, I had some thoughts and I was like, you know what, I, you know, I, I don't think I want to be uh, in the military anymore. I don't want to be in the Air Force anymore. I just want to hang it up. You know, I was like, I, you know, I, I don't know. I had no rhyme or reason as to why I wanted to get out. Maybe it was just because, you know, I was, you know, I was out there for so long. Uh, you know, it was very austere. Uh, you know, it was, it was different. It was, you know, different being deployed. And then so I was like, well, you know, I told my supervisor, I, you know, I just, I just want to hang it up and, you know, I, you know, I think I'm done. Um, and then he said, no, I said, you know, you can't be done. You know, it's like you, you're too early in your career to be doing that. And I was like, well, you know, I don't think this is for me. I want to be with my friends. You know, I want to be back home. You know, this is, this is not, I don't think is for me. You know, the, the job is not challenging. You know, I went out there for seven months and, you know, I, I didn't, I, I didn't really much enjoyed it, but, you know, a uh, couple months passed by and then uh, I got assignment to um, uh, Volkel, uh, Netherlands, to a NATO, ba uh, NATO base. And then from there, I was like, well, you know what? Um, I'll, you know, I think I'll just have to remain enlisted, um, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, at that time when I was uh, PCSing out, uh, out to Europe in the Netherlands, in the Netherlands uh, I got promoted. Uh, you know, I had just had finished testing uh, for uh, for staff sergeant, and then so I was like, well, you know, I had increased responsibilities, and uh, I was, you know, managing my own programs, and then so I started to think, I was like, well, you know, maybe enlisted is not too bad. Let me see how far I can go in the enlisted ranks, and just go from there, and then so. You know, from there, uh, you know, when I was in the Netherlands, you know, I was, you know, believe it or not, I was a, I was a club manager, so I was actually a bartender. I was bartending for for the airmen. It was it's pretty cool experience. So, you know, it's pretty awesome. Um, but uh, you know, so I did that uh, my tour, and then so I was like, well, uh, let me see. You know, I think I'll just be enlisted. You know, I was like, you know, there was a lot of things. That I liked about it, the camaraderie, uh, you know, it's a lot of work. Um, uh, and then, you know, so I just kept at it. So I was like, well, I'll just uh, stay on the enlisted route and see where it takes me. And then, you know, from there, I just, you know, kept on, kept on going and doing the best that I could and, uh, you know, staying in the fight. Awesome, sir. Thank you for the answer, actually, because um, when you said, like, that you wanted to, like, leave early on and just hang it up, um, it's amazing how you were able to just from there, from there, you were able to go like for the long haul, like the full 20. 
yeah it's so, <laughs> yeah. amazing so i definitely want to like thank you for your service and like keeping your head strong with like staying in it oh yeah no definitely you know because you know I, i'm glad i had uh, good supervisors back then you know to kind of really you know uh kind of motivate me and you know talk to me you know because it's like you know you always have you know some bad supervisors and some good ones so i definitely you know appreciated uh you know it was a master sergeant barnett i could remember her master sergeant anita barnett she was my she was my supervisor and she was like you know no it's like you, you need to you know you need to stay strong and, and keep going it's too early for you you know and so i'm, I'm glad she kind of sat down and talked to me about it and you know, kind of inspired me to keep on going so yeah awesome so uh going into my next question we uh, we talked about it early on in the podcast uh you explain your extensive background with force support readiness and logistics so we would love to go down like each individual route and you can explain your experiences with that and um beginning with force support can you uh describe what that field is and what your relations were like with the officers correlating with that specific field Yes, so definitely. Okay, so uh, for support, right? Um, so uh, you know, every, every base needs uh, you know some place to eat, some place to sleep, uh, some ta- uh, some place to you know you know do physical training, as well as you know some entertainment, uh, you know during a downtime uh, with family and whatnot, right? Or and then every base needs like some type of. Uh, a retirement ceremony or a change of command. Uh, so for force support, you know, we encapsulate all that um, uh, facets of what I just mentioned, right? So uh, for force support, you know, we need to feed the airmen, you know, we need to make sure that, you know, they got uh, food in their stomach. And I guess, you know, uh, what, uh, what Napoleon Bonaparte said, he said, a uh, soldier doesn't march on the empty stomach, right? So, um, so yeah, uh, you know, and force support, you know, we're gonna should be able to uh, feed and support the troops, you know, uh, feeding them, whether it be, um, you know, fresh, uh, you know, fresh hot meals or MREs, um, whatever the case may be, uh, you know, food is gonna be food, you know, everyone needs food. Uh, and then also, you, you know, we'll also need a place to stay, right? So every airman needs a place to stay to bunker down uh, on their downtime. So, um, you know, down in the field, you know, we have, uh, you know, lodging operations uh, on deployment sites. So, you know, we have to be able to house, you know, airmen in their tents or, you know, in their, in their dormitories or, you know, wherever, um, you know, lodging is available. Uh, or fitness, you know, we, you know, definitely have to keep a, a fit to fight airmen, uh, you know, making sure that they're, you know, fit and ready. Uh, we provide fitness programs. We, we provide the equipment, the facilities for them to work out. Uh, we also, you know, uh, you know, do their fitness tests too as well. So, you know, uh, for, for support, you know, we ensure that, you know, airmen is maintained and uh, fit to fight. Um, in regards to um, uh, readiness, which kind of uh, encapsulates, you know, with retirement ceremonies, mortuary affairs, um, getting uh, airmen uh, ready for deployments, and as well as, uh, you know, making sure all their records and shots are up to date. Um, you know, that would be, uh, you know, part of the force support program as well. Um, in relations to having, uh, you know, working with officers, uh, me personally, uh, 
you know, the, the officers uh, that I work with, especially was uh, in the on the operation side of, uh, for support, because you have an operation sites where um, mainly they, they are dealing with uh, uh, the readiness programs and they're also dealing with also some of the uh, food service programs. So you'll have a, a food service support officer and then you also have a readiness support officer um, and then also, you know, you'll have a, a commander too, as well, uh, in charge of the uh, force support program. But going back to the, uh, you know, uh, readiness officer, when, when I worked in readiness, you know, he had a really, really big uh, shoot to fill, right? So as me, as being a, um, a readiness technician or readiness specialist for the force support, uh, you know, my job was to ensure that uh, all the airmen in our squadron uh, were were ready to deploy at a moment's notice. So whether that be, you know, their training records are up to date, ancillary records, M16 qualification, M9 qualifications, um, you know, uh, uh, C-Bernie qualifications, you know, all that you know, the, the force support commander needs to know, you know, what's the status of his airmen? Is, is my airmen ready to deploy? Do they have medical profiles? Do they have family issues? Do they have, um, you know, anything, just anything, um, you know, wrong with that personnel or, you know, am I gonna have issues deploying my, my airmen? So, you know, the force commander, uh, the force support commander will look at, um, uh, you know, the, the readiness report and he or she will look at it and they'll say, well, you know, who do I have, you know, what teams do I have that I can deploy to support, you know, the COCOM mission? You know, we have a, we have a deployment coming up, you know, I need to support the COCOM commander, you know, I need to support the supported commander. And then they'll say, well, you know, I can't support because, you know, I have, uh, uh, have personnel on profiles or I have personnel that are, you know, ineligible you know, their, their, uh, their enlistment is up. So there's a lot of things that the force support commander has to take into consideration, right? Um, and then that's, that's the job of the, uh, the readiness officer. He's the, he's the middle person and the oversight, you know, between me and the commander when I go and brief the commander. So, you know, the uh, readiness officer, you know, will kind of uh, do the checks and balances and kind of say, well, you know, um, yeah, yeah, you're definitely right, uh, Mr. Escobar. Yeah, we can't deploy this person. You know, what, what's the reason? You know, I'll say, well, here, here are the reasons and here are the, the limiting factors of why this person can't can't deploy, right? Um, and then it's up to the it's up to the readiness officers to you know kind of uh, say that to the uh, you know the unit commander and say, you know, we're we're in the red. You know, we can't deploy. Uh, and then you know the readiness officer will say. Well, what you know? What is the course of action that we're going to do with this? You know, what, what's going to happen? You know, who do we have to backfill? Uh, what are we going to do with with the training? Is the training program, uh, you know, up to speed, or is it working? Is it not working? So there's a lot of factors involved in that, right? And then uh, another responsibility is for uh, the readiness officer is a mortuary, um, is a, being a mortuary officer. So you know, it, you know. He'll be the person that will be uh, briefing families, you know, of their uh, their loved ones when they passed away. So you know, it, it's hard. You know, it's hard for that mortuary officer to say, you know, 
um, here are your entitlements or, you know, this is what's going to happen. Um, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're getting everything, all the records and all, all the entitlements um, ready and uh, coordinating with different agencies for that. So, you know, being, uh, being a force support officer and, and, um, uh, and force support, you know, there's a lot of big shoes to fill, um, a, a lot of responsibilities. And uh, from my experience, you know, I, you know, I'm a hard worker and I definitely, you know, want to provide as much information to my, uh, my readiness officer or whether it could be my food service officer food service operations officer, you know, I'll provide as much detail and information for them to brief the commander so they're not down on my back breathing. So definitely, um, you know, it's a, it's a lot of issues. It's a lot of um, uh, things that, you know, to take in consideration for a for support officer. Yeah, so definitely in your whole time explaining that, like how I was visualizing it is that we have our airmen, and then we have the umbrella over our airmen and that umbrella is what um, like the um, for support, like the support services in a way. Um, so would you say that like um, the services career field embodies what it means to like support your airmen? Right, I would say uh, taking care of airmen and families. I would say, you know, for support is yeah, taking care of uh, airmen and families. So now going off of that, can you touch on just briefly, like what is like the logistics side that you worked with and then what aspects did you personally um, experience? And then what was the relationship with the logistics officers as well? Sure. Yes. No worries. So, uh, uh, you know, I'll also, you know, I'll, I'll bring that back into kind of uh, also I'll jump between, uh, you know, readiness and um, uh, food service operations, because uh, that's where a lot of the logistics happens. Right. So uh, during, during my time uh, working uh, in the uh, food service operations, you know, definitely, uh, you know, we need to get food, uh, you know, in the facility, we need to get uh, food going, we need to get established a pipeline for food to come in. So at a deployed location, uh, it's equally uh, vitally important for, you know, food to come in, uh, you know, on a steady pace, you know, you know without any interruptions, right? So. If you consider, you know, being at a deployed location, um, and you don't have any food, uh, you know, to feed the troops, you know, and you know, what are we going to do? Are we going to go out and hunt wild animals? I was like, oh, you know, I think not, right? Um, but uh, you know, for for the logistical piece for the food service operations, you know, again, we have we have to establish a pipeline. So when I was deployed, my experience uh, working uh, as a, a rations person at a deployed location. You know, I I uh, you know I coordinated with the logistical um, you know specialists and officers and you know, kind of established you know, hey uh, you know this is this is the type of food that we need this is the type of equipment that we need and also uh, we're gonna need a, a recurring type of uh, uh, ordering established uh, requisitions to be established right so you know I would coordinate with you know logistics officers and and, and uh, specialists and say uh, okay well. You know, uh, every every Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays is when I need to stock my facility, uh, the, the the kitchen. You know, I need to stock it with you know foods. You know, because we have very limited um, uh, storage capacity. You know, at the site, um, and then but 
uh, probably a couple hundred yards out, you know, we have a bigger facility where, you know, food is constantly coming in and there's a bigger refrigeration unit, right? So, you know, uh, you know, when I work on rations, you know, I, I would coordinate, you know, all the, I would coordinate all the, the rations coming in, whether that be, uh, you know, frozen foods, uh, fresh foods, um, you know, operational rations, which are, you know, the MREs, um, you know, those, those compact meals that, you know, are, you know, just heat and serve and, you know, eat it out the packs. Um, so, you know, it, it would be my responsibility to uh, establish the, the order uh, pipeline, as well as, you know, ensuring that uh, everything is, is accounted for. Um, so if there was uh, nothing in the pipeline that was coming in, or if there was a, a, an issue, you know, with, uh, with the product, then, you know, I would go to, you know, the logistics team and say, hey, uh, you know, what's going on? You know, why, you know, where's, where's my MREs or where's my frozen containers? You know, where are they at? And, you know, working with the, the logistical team, you know, they, they would have a, a team that specializes in coordination for um, uh, working uh, custom clearance forms at the port. Because, you know, if you're in a foreign country, you can't just ship anything to to that country, there's there's specific guidelines, there's specific um, you know products that are not allowed in the country, you know. So, in um, uh, you know, in a lot of Middle Eastern countries, you know, you can't import pork, you know, into the country. So that's a big no. Um, but there are times where you know stuff gets held up because there's uh, things that are on a manifest that that the custom officer sees that says, you know, well, I don't know what this product is. So, uh, you know, it's made in America or where is it made from? You know, and that's the type of things that the logistical officer has to kind of annotate and work the issues to say, you know, well, this is for a US government and it's, you know, it's gonna be on base. It's gonna, it's not gonna be served out into the, uh, you know, the, the public populace uh, out in your country. It's just, it's on a U.S. installation, and it's going to go from the port straight to straight to the base, right? So, um, you know, working working with those teams, you know, they they also have a lot of uh, shoes to fill when it comes to that because it's no easy task, you know, trying to get things uh, moving or shipped because there's uh, there's I'm sure there's a a ton of other things that are being you know uh, shipped in, whether it be tanks, uh, Humvees, or you know whatnot. Um, there's a lot of things that you know has to be taken into consideration for uh, you know the the logistical officers to um, you know to to run that program. So now we'd like to move it on over into a deployment section. You mentioned at the beginning that you're in a different time zone, and we just like to acknowledge that and and thank you for still coming on, even working with uh, difficulties at hand. But can you talk to the viewers out there? sort of a little bit about your deployment style, the structure, where you went, where you've gone, uh, and your current deployment status. Uh, so yeah, again, thank you uh, for that question. So yeah, I, I've been I've been to a couple deployments um, and even short ones. So uh, the two the two big deployments that I've been on to was uh, uh, Operation uh, Enduring Freedom. Um, and that was when 9-11 uh, first kicked off, right? Um, so I was deployed to um, Qatar uh, twice. I was out there, you know, uh, six to seven months at a time. Uh, you know, being being at a deployed location is 
is is definitely different, you know, from being uh, stationed at a home base. You know, there's not a lot of uh, what do you call it uh, infrastructure at a deployed site, depending on where you go, actually. So I'll give you an example for my first deployment when when I was out in um, Qatar. Uh, you know, it was a bare base. We had to build everything up from from the ground up. Uh, there were some uh, infrastructure out there, but not not so much, you know. Um, so, you know, we had to basically build a base up from from the ground up. You know, we set up tents. We went out there. We set up tents. Um, you know, we established dirt roads. You know, uh, hooked up uh, ECU electrical uh, environmental controlled units. You know, those are like the ACs and the heating units. Um, you know, we had to establish our, our field kitchens out there, our mobile kitchens. Uh, you know, we had to establish, you know, where people are going to sleep, you know, how far from the flight line are, you know, our air crew supposed to be, um, you know, where's, where's our fitness center going to be, you know, we had to set that up. So we kind of had a, a makeshift fitness center, you know, uh, at the beginning, you know, it was kind of in a, um, so like in a, uh, there was like an old runway, but then they had those barriers that, you know, for those um, aircraft to, to house in, but it was, you know, the top was open. And then so there, you know, we had, you know, we just had like makeshift equipment there, you know, um, and, you know, people would just uh, go out there and kind of do a self-directed fitness center type of thing. Um, and then we also had, uh, uh, you know, uh, at the beginning, we just had uh, people uh, eating MREs, you know, because that's the quickest thing that we can get at that time, because we didn't really have any uh, uh, kitchen established. So once once we established our kitchen and able to cook, uh, you know, uh, fresher meals, uh, then we would. But, you know, uh, being at a deployed location, you know, it, you know, you don't have a lot of the necessities at, at home, you know, uh, when you're being, when you're, when you're at a deployed location too, as well, um, you probably have, you know, 10 to 12 people in your tent. Um, and it's crowded in there and you know you only have one uh, uh, you know button for turning on the light so um, you know but you will have string a uh, string of lights going up and down the tents of where you know uh, where you sleep and where your cot is at but you know you know what we do is just uh, unscrew the light bulb you know we, we left the, the light on but we just unscrewed the light bulb you know so that way you know if there was people that wanted to read or you know they were on a different ship, you know, that they can see when they were going to their, to their, their cot. Right. Um, and yeah, it, it's, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it doesn't sound as bad as I make it to seem, but, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's, you know, you know, the army and the Marines, you know, they have it worse, you know, they either sleep in tanks or in foxholes. Right. So, you know, we had, you know, Air Force has the luxury of sleeping in tents and you know, having air conditioned units and, you know, um, and, you know, and still, you know, people people complain being at tents, you know, because they're they're, you know, when you're young and you know you haven't you know uh, been deployed, you don't know any better, you know, you're 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 just complaining like you know it's hot, you know I'm sleeping with you know twelve other dudes in a tent, um, you know they stink or you know they're they're not bathing, um, you know and just. Yeah, you know, it's just it's just crazy, you know. You got sand blowing up under your tent. You know, it's windy, um, and then you know you're working twelve hours a day, um, and then you're like, oh, is this ever gonna end? You know, is there a, a end in sight? But you know, you know when uh, being being services, well, it's for support now. But being services, you know, we 
uh, kind of joke a lot about, you know, our career field, you know, it's like, you know, no one really appreciates, you know, what, uh, you know, we always say, you know, no one really appreciates what uh, services, you know, provides to, to people with that poor locations, you know. Um, so it's like, you know, it's like, it, it, whether it be air crew complaining, it be the uh, security forces guys complaining. So it's just, you know, we're just bombarded with stuff. But, uh, you know, for me, it was just like, yeah, you know, I mean, we provide you guys food, you know, we, you know, we give you guys food, you know, a hot meal, uh, if we can, uh, you know, we give you guys your, your, your 10 assignments, you know, your lodging assignments, uh, you know, also give you, provide you your, your fitness, uh, when you're, uh, you know, want to work out or release some stress. Um, and then at the end of the day, you know, we, we provide entertainment, you know, cause, uh, in a deployed location, you know, sometimes we have, uh, you know, the force support uh, coordinating uh, trips, either going downtown, uh, depending on the location, uh, we either coordinate trips to go downtown or, you know, to uh, special locations, or we bring in uh, the USO, we bring in bands, entertainment, comedians, um, you know, we coordinate, uh, we coordinate uh, all those uh, entertainment for, uh, for, for support. Um, and then every now and then you'll probably have some beer at the at the deploy location, but it it's called uh, we call it near beer. You know, it's like zero percent alcohol, but it kind of tastes like beer. It's kind of weird, so um, it's strange. Um, you know, service does a lot. You know, for for deploy that. You know, the you know the the more times that I I, I went on uh, these like you know. Uh, deployments, you know, I kind of enjoyed it even more. I learned stuff, uh, stuff that I didn't learn from last time, which was, you know, you know, how to do a better operation uh, of, you know, what I did from my previous tour. Um, so again, you know, I, I did two, two tours in, um, uh, in Qatar. Uh, I went there to Kuwait uh, for a short period. Um, and then uh, I went to Korea for uh, just a small contingency exercise. For it's it's a really big exercise that um, that the U.S. does with the with the Koreans. Uh, they uh, every year they uh, not every year I think uh, every other year they do a big exercise, um, you know, uh, on the peninsula. So I uh, with that deployment when, when I did that, uh, I, I was actually with the unit. Uh, it's called Red Horse. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with the unit called Red Horse. Um, so they're, uh, they're kind of like the Navy CVs, which, you know, they go out and do rapid buildings of, of a base. So Red Horse, uh, there's an acronym for it, but um, uh, Red Horse, you know, these are, these are like specialized units, they're squadrons and you know, they wear the red caps. And these guys would go out and um, you know, rapidly uh, establish a, a runway, uh, build a runway uh, for flights to come in, right? So they're kind of like a specialized units. So to, Red Horse to kind of uh, Red Horse stands for Rapid Engineer Deployable Heavy Operational Repair Squadron Engineers. Yeah, that's a pretty long acronym. <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. expect you to know that <laughs> <Thank> one. <you. laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> So yeah, definitely yeah. So so red horse red horse is you know it's a specialized unit, and so um, you know they yeah, and you know with that long acronym, you know it's it's mostly a, a lot of engineers that are you know in that squadron, and we also you know believe it or not there is also a, a force support attached to that, so you know there's always some 
uh, for support that's attached with the Red Horse unit uh, embedded uh, because, you know, you know, again, it goes back to, you know, we got to feed them, right? We got to feed them, uh, got to house them and, you know, get their fitness, right? So that's. All right. Yes, sir. Thank you for the insight on active duty. So from my understanding in your final years in the Air Force, as well as right now, um, you did a lot with the, the Air Force Wounded Warrior Project. And can you elaborate more on that, uh, what you've done with them, as well as uh, how they've helped you out? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, so you know, a lot of people get uh, the Wounded Warrior Project and the Air Force Wounded Warrior Program uh, mixed up. And so uh, not too long ago, uh, uh, probably the three years ago, uh, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Um, luckily it was uh, non-cancerous and it was a benign, but regard, regardless of the matter, um, you know, I, I had a brain tumor, which, you know, affected my ability to, um, uh, you know, do things, certain things at work. Um, and, you know, I would, uh, you know, have migraines and headaches constantly. And I could never, you know, figure out what it was. And then, so until, um, you know, I went to a, a specialized doctor, a neurologist, and, you know, he took MR and uh, sent me down when he, once he got my results and kind of said, um, you know, hey, uh, we got some, we got some good news and bad news. And so I was like, oh, okay, you know, um, you know, I, I this was my time uh, when I was here in, in Germany, actually. So this is my second time in Germany. So the first time I was in Germany uh, in 2017 is when I was diagnosed with a, um, uh, with a brain tumor. Uh, and this one was called specifically as uh, acoustic neuroma. So it's a tumor that sits on your ear nerve. And, uh, you know, if it grows big enough, you know, it will press against your, um, uh, press against your brainstem, right? And so... Um, and, and that's ultimately what, what my, uh, my doctor said, right? So he said, you know, hey, um, I, you know, I got some good news and some bad news, um, you know? So I was like, well, you know, what's the bad news? Um, he said, well, uh, the bad news is you have a tumor and it's grown, it's pressing against your brainstem. And that's more than likely why you've been having all these migraines, you know, the past couple of years. And so I was like, oh, I was like, wow, okay, well, you know, I, you know, at that time, I didn't know what to say. I was just kind of shocked. You know, when when I heard a you know, when I hear the word tumor, I mean, I, I think of negative things about it. You know, um, so at that point, I was just like kind of devastated. Like my whole my whole world fell apart. You know, you know, what is my family gonna think about this? What are my peers, my coworkers? How do I say that to them? You know, I you know, I still have a lot in me that I want to accomplish in the in my military career. Right, and so I was coming up on my seven, uh, let's see, um, 18, 18 year mark, 18, 19 year mark, right? So I was like, hey, I, you know, I still have a lot in me. Um, and then uh, from there I was, uh, uh, well actually, uh, I'm sorry, uh, the, the good news that my doctor said is that, well, you know, the good news is that it's not cancerous. So I was like, oh, okay, well, uh, you know, but still it's a tumor, you know, so I wasn't kind of relating, piecing together stuff. So he was like, no, I was like, you know, uh, it, you know, you have a tumor, it's non-cancerous. And so, like, oh, okay. Well, once he said non-cancerous, I was just kind of a little bit relieved, but, you know, he did say, you know, I was like, you know, if you don't 
get the tumor taken care of um, and you just might die. You, you know, you might not wake up, you know, uh, because uh, he said, you know, uh, if because he didn't know how fast it was growing or, you know, you know what the conditions were. But all he knew is that there was a mass there and it was pressing against the brainstem. And then, you know, he said, you know, if it grows, you know, larger, uh, you might not know it and you might not wake up and you're just being bad, never waking up again, because there's no signs of of you telling you that, you know, hey, uh, to to wake up from your sleep. So it's, uh, that was kind of a scary thing when he said that. So I was like, wow. Um, and so, and so uh, you know, once I got my results and he, he sat down and talked to me what my options are uh, for surgery, um, I was uh, medevaced out here from Ramstein to uh, San Antonio, Texas. Uh, I did my surgery out there. I brought my family with me, uh, my wife. Uh, my wife, Munju, uh, my parents took my kids um, with them back to California so they can finish out school. So we were separated from them. Um, you know, it was, it, uh, it was a really hard time for us, you know, for all of us, right? Because um, I didn't know how this operation was going to go. Uh, and, you know, there were, uh, I started doing research and uh, understanding more about it. Um, and then, you know, I was kind of worried for my career too as well. You know, I was like, well, you know, am I going to come back on active duty or am I going to be retired or, you know, what's going to happen to me? Um, you know, knowing all that, you know, uh, kind of uh, kind of led me to a, a depression uh, type of stage, you know. So after after my surgery uh, was was uh, successfully removed, um, you know, it was, uh, I, lost, I lost my hearing on my right ear. So I can't hear that well, or, you know, I can't hear totally. So I'm deaf on this ear. Uh, I, I lost balance. Uh, you know, I, you know, I had to be in a wheelchair on a walker and on the cane. So, um, you know, that was one of the struggles that I had to go through. Um, and then just the constant pain when they had cut me open here on the side, cause that's where my surgery is right here. I don't know if you can see it, but you know, they did surgery on this side on my right side. And uh, that's, uh, you know, it's still painful to this day. You know, there's a metal plate in there, but, uh, you know, I learned to deal with it and, you know, just kind of uh, keep it warm when needed, right? So, because when it gets cold, when you have something metal in your uh, body parts, you know, it, it tends to hurt, basically. Um, so, you know, going, you know, transitioning into the um, uh, Air Force Wounded Warrior Program, uh, that's where they came in and kind of helped me, um, you know, help me throughout my recovery and my rehab rehabilitation, right? So, you know, um, I, I didn't know that program existed. I, I kind of, well, actually, I take that back. I kind of knew that they existed, but it didn't really interest me because, um, you know, for that, I would always assume it was for people that lost their legs or, you know, in a minefield or, you know, at an, um, you know, uh, IED. So that's how I, that's how I thought, um, you know, the, the, the wounded warrior for the Air Force was, you know, was like, oh, okay, those are guys for, you know, uh, for battle scars and, you know, that, you know, they don't deal with people like me, you know, my case, but, you know, um, uh, I was uh, introduced uh, to one of the, um, uh, uh, recovery care coordinators and um, you know at the hospital at San Antonio 
and she kind of introduced me to the team and the staff and you know told me what you know efforts wanted warrior uh, program was all about and i was like wow i was like you guys really exist you know this this is what you guys really do you know for service members you know that are on active duty and you know i was like yeah you know the, the you know each each service branch of service has their t- um their own uh wounded warrior program for service members whether they're you know wounded ill or injured right so those are the criteria um you know that 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 were to be met to be in the program so so i was you know i was ill you know that time during that time i was ill you know i had uh you know i had a brain tumor and you know they accepted me into the program and you know they uh you know they cared for me they they helped me with my rehabilitation and you know try to get me you know where i need to be at in my life and you know i'm still in that program so with the air force wounded warrior program what they do is um you know they help recovering airmen you know from you know like my case i had a brain tumor they help airmen with cancer that are you know recovering from cancer they help airmen that were coming off on the battlefield and you know they um you know they they lost you know their legs or their arms, their eyesight, whatever the case may be, you know, um, you know, there was a lot of, you know, warriors uh, that I've met uh, during my time when I was, you know, in that program. So, uh, well, I'm still in it, I'm sorry. Uh, and, I, and I do keep in touch with those guys still, um, you know, and we share a lot of stories. We share a lot of similarities, you know, it's like, you know, people don't, you know, you know, stories like, you know, people don't understand us, what we're going through, you know, we have invisible wounds that people don't really understand, they can't relate to us, because from the outside, you know, they're thinking, you know, oh, you know, he's fine, there's, you know, he or she is fine, there's nothing wrong with them, you know, why is, why is that person always like a negative Nancy or, you know, whatever, negative person, um, but you really don't know that person until you get to know them from the inside, right, and so, you know, with this program, you know, you know, we kind of understood each other's, you know, feelings and, you know, just talk about it and how, you know, how to deal with it. You know, it's like, you know, and you learn a lot being in, in, in that program. And I, I wish a lot of, um, uh, uh, I don't want to say uh, normal people, um, but I wish a lot of um, commanders and first sergeants know about that program. Um, and, you know, are aware of that program because, you know, there are a lot of airmen out there, um, you know, that are dealing with a lot of stuff, whether it be mental issues, uh, sexual harassment, or, you know, rape cases, you know, all that stuff, you know, um, you know, it gets to the best of people, right? And, you know, with this program, you know, if people are, are, are known uh, about the program and well aware of it, you know, I definitely think it can help, you know, airmen you know, with the, with them recovering and kind of understanding, um, you know, how to deal with, you know, um, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, I'll go a little bit into the, uh, into what the, the program provides. Um, so, you know, with the um, Air Force Wounded Warrior Program, uh, uh, every quarter they, they always, uh, they, they host an event. It's called a care event, right? They, they um, and, you know, it's, it's a multitude of things that, you know, um, like sub programs that they have, you know, you can go into programs such as, um, you know, there's called the uh, caregivers, right? So caregivers is mostly for uh, families that are taking care of their, uh, you know, their ill or wounded 
you know, airmen, right? So, you know, these caregivers do a lot for, you know, for, for their spouse, you know, whether, um, you know, personal hygiene, cooking meals, you know, making sure that they take their medication on time, uh, pushing the wheelchair around, um, helping them get out of bed, grooming standards, you know, it, you know, that's, you know, a lot of things is put onto a caregiver that, you know, people don't think about, right? So, you know, these caregivers, you know, they also need support too, and they're part of the program too as well. So, you know, the, the Air Force, the AFW2, uh, we call it, you know, they bring the, the, the caregivers on board, you know, to help deal with that, um, with that stress and that um, the new normal, as we call it, you know. So, you know, with that, you know, uh, caregivers are involved. Uh, they have their own um, uh, events that, you know, that they do, you know, they have uh, spouses, uh, male, female, uh, you know, to kind of, you know, get their thoughts and, you know, share ideas and say, you know, hey, yeah, you know, this is what my husband is dealing with. This is how I was able to help them, you know, uh, you know, with their life and, uh, you know, keep moving, uh, keep being motivated, right? So, um, so they have that one, they have that event, you know, the other event is also um, helping, uh, you know, helping the, the, the airmen with uh, sports activities. Uh, so we have adaptive sports, um, and those are one of my favorites that I enjoyed, you know, going to is adaptive sports, right? So, um, you know, there's, you know, my favorite was doing the, um, the shooting, the air rifling, right? So there's events for air rifling. Um, you know, you have air rifling, um, adaptive uh, cycling, you have, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, they just now introduced like a weightlifting in there too. Um, yeah, there's, yeah, there's, there's, uh, oh, a uh, swimming, you know, adaptive swimming, you know, there's, man, man, the, the people that swim, you know, they're, um, that have one leg and they swim, man, they are amazing. You know, they are a special type of people. And, you know, it's like, you know, it's like for me to see that, you know, with a person swimming with just one leg or even with one arm, uh, it's like, man, I was like, you know, it, it's doable, you know, I was like, why am I complaining that I can't do it? You know, when that person is, you know, putting their heart and soul into swimming with, you know, with just one arm and, and one leg, you know, I was like, come on, you know, what's what's wrong with the world, right? You know, I was like, you know, never, never say you can't do anything in the world, you know, anything's possible, you know, and, and that, that opened my eyes, you know, when I was in, in that program is to see, you know, I was like, man, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, you know, warriors in here, you know, they're, they're happy, they're, you know, they're, you know, just doing great things, you know, with, with what, you know, with what they have, right, you know, whether they're limited by what they, they, they can do, you know, and so, um, you know, that, 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 that was an awesome thing, you know, to see, you know, it really opened my eyes and, you know, every quarter, you know, when I was in, uh, well, when I was uh, still in the military, I would try to go to this event because, you know, I wanted to see how people progressed. I wanted to see, you know, uh, new people and, you know, how, how they're doing um, and how, and what they're dealing with. Right. So, and it's like, wow, oh, that, you know, that, that was an awesome, great feeling, you know, to be a part of, you know, so, you know, so, and, Another thing that the program helps too is for warriors that are transitioning out into the civilian life, they do um, uh, employment workshops. So they help, 
you know, they help airmen with, you know, getting ready for, you know, their next chapter in life, you know, working, you know, like even though, you know, even though you have one leg or one arm or, you know, you can't see with one eye, you know, there, there's always something, you know, there's always a job out there for, for that person, you know, so, you know, say whether they're limited or not, there's always something for them to do. And that's what the program helps them is just kind of getting them into uh, back, back to a normalcy and, you know, kind of, uh, get out to the workforce and kind of contribute back into society um, and, and to and to help. So, um, so uh, I, I know you guys. The, um, I know a couple of you guys. You know, talked about being pilots and stuff. So I don't know if you guys um, remember uh, this Thunderbird pilot, a female pilot, um, uh, Major Malakowski. Malakowski. She was a Thunderbird. Uh, she was the first. Uh, female Thunderbird uh, pilot, um, and she was in a program uh, in the AFW two program. So, and she is now an AFW um, uh, AFW two uh, ambassador for for the program. And so she goes around telling her story about you know what she's been through and her career in the in the Air Force. So, um, you know, it, it, if there was another candidate that you guys um, would you know. Uh, would like to interview. I, I think she'd be a good candidate, you know, to you know, kind of interview to you as well. She's she's a really great person, um, you know, and she's you know, yeah, she's she's amazing. She's an amazing pilot. So yeah, her her resume looks insanely uh, decorated. Yes, yes. <laughs> May have to, and, yeah. she, and she plays uh, a role in the um, Air Force Wounded Warrior Program. Yeah, yeah. She is. She's one of our ambassadors. So she. You know, she's, you know, one of, uh, you know, the ambassadors that goes out there and, you know, spreads the word to, you know, uh, you know, when every time there's an event comes up, you know, she goes out there and, you know, tells the stories uh, uh, of, of her life and, you know, what she's been through and how she's going through, um, you know, stuff like that, you know, kind of like what, you know, I'm, I'm doing right now, it's, you know, it's, you know, kind of want to spread the word about you know the program and you know what it has to offer and you know what it entails so even even here um uh you know i'm a civilian now um you know working for uh the defense logistics agency um you know i i spread word to the airmen and about the program and what it's about uh you know even um you know i have some connections on ramstein and you know i you know i tell them about you know the program and what it's about even though you know they're uh, healthy and you know they're you know just normal people but who knows maybe they might have a, a airman underneath them that might need it and you know it just you know it just helps you know it just helps with you know uh coping you know with you know some of the things that are happening in your life so well with that uh every guest that comes on the show we typically ask them uh one primary question and that question relates to cadets directly. And so we'll go ahead and ask you this question. This question is, what does leadership mean to you? Well, thank you. I appreciate that question. Wow. Yeah, no, um, definitely. Uh, you know, this is starting to sound like my uh, retirement ceremony all over again. <laughs> um, no, but, uh, you know, yeah. So yeah, leadership, right? Um, you know, so a lot of people, you know, a lot of people, you know, think that, you know, being a leader is, you know, bossing people around and, you know, kind of, uh, you know, hey, you know, do this, you know, because I have this on, on my, on my collar, right? Um, or, you know, I have, you know, I have a, 
you know, uh, a roof over my uh, my stripes, you know. So, you know, people, uh, you know, think you know the higher that they're in rank, that you know they can boss people around. Um, so, you know, being a leader is you know first understanding is uh, you know learning learning how to follow, being being a follower first, right? So, you know, leader. Not all leaders are are are, are born to be, you know, leaders. You know it. You know it takes time to to build uh, a, a leader, right? Because you have to go through some trials and tribulations. You have to go through some experiences. Um, you know you have to understand uh, how failure works, right? So, I mean, you know, being a leader and and having leadership is all about you know understanding uh, understanding your people understanding that you've been in that shoes before, where you come from, what experiences you've uh, endured and how it helped you. You know, to me, that, that is, you know, that's a you know, leadership and being a leader, uh, you know, and, you know, that, that's good in my books, you know. Um, you know, I don't care. I don't care what rank you are. I don't care, you know, um, you know, if you're the CEO or the general, you know, be, being a leader and having the leadership qualities, you know, you know, is what it's all about. You know, being being honest, you know, being honest with people and accepting, uh, you know, accepting responsibility when you fail, right? So if you fail, you know, everyone fails. You know, that's, you know, that's part of life, right? And then then you go on about your life and then you go on to uh, experience different things and you know you apply that knowledge and say, you know what, yeah, I did fail. Um, during that time, you know, uh, you know, I was really, you know, I was really careless and reckless, but now I'm not, you know, now I understand myself more and now I can, you know, convey that message to, you know, to other people and say, you know, well, you know, uh, being, being a leader is not, you know, having, uh, you know, having the stripes or having, you know, you know, having the bars or the star, you know, being a leader is, you know, uh, having to, you know, have, people kind of uh, look up to you and say, you know, wow, I was like, okay, well, you know, I, I want to be that type of person, uh, you know, when I grow up or when I'm in that position, you know, it's like, uh, I, I'll give you an example um, of uh, uh, another supervisor of mine. His, his name, his name is uh, Chief Master Sergeant Kevin James, right? So, man, this guy, he, he was, he was my, um, he was my supervisor when I worked in the storm room in the food operations and uh man I, I looked up to this guy you know he's uh you know he he's honest and he is you know he he he's not political or anything like that you know he's he's got a mouth of his own you know but and that's what i liked about him because you know he would tell you the brutal truth and be honest with you you know he would not you know say you know okay hey you know hey great job even though you know your job sucks right so he would say you know hey you know, it, you did a terrible uh, job, you know, um, you know, uh, go ahead uh, and, and do that again. I need you to go and, and, and do this task again. And yeah, sometimes I'd be like, man, I, this guy's a jerk. You know, this guy's, you know, I don't like him, you know, but then I would start to realize like, you know what, you know, he's, he's making me better. And, you know, and he's not only just telling me that, you know, my job sucks or, you know, you know, the product uh, that I gave him uh, sucked. He's telling me like, you know, I could do better and, you know, improve myself. 
you know, because that's what it's all about, you know, is a, you know, he was at that time mentoring me at that time. And I didn't know it, you know, to me, I was just, I was just a young A1C airman. And, you know, he was a staff sergeant and he was, you know, like, man, that's, this guy's just bossing me around. Cause you know, Kevin James, he's a big dude. He's, 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 he's huge, man. He's like a bodybuilder. Uh, but, you know, I was like, in my mind, I was like, man, this guy was, uh, man, he's just bossing me around because he has the rank, right? But then as the, you know, years pass, and I was like, man, you know what? Now I understand why, you know, he's, he's, he's telling me something that, you know, that I'm not fully aware of. And now that I'm catching on. And then, so from there, it's like, okay, you know, I, I looked up to him and, you know, and, and now, well, he's, he's retired now, and but he made it up all the way to, um, you know, E9, Chief Master Sergeant, right? So I was like, man, I was like, dang, so he's, you know, he could be honorably, you know, just like have a, you know, a bad mouth and still make it up there. But he was honest, you know, play around and, you know, sugarcoat anything. So and to me, you know, and he, you know he, he was a great leader, you know, and I, and I appreciate his honesty and and his uh and his feedback because you know you know anyone could say you know that you know hey uh you know you're you're a great worker and you know but really you know they kind of say something behind you know their peers and say you know yeah you know Aaron so and so is a social worker but maybe you know I can maybe they need to be improved right but you know being a leader is you know being honest with your people you know if you suck at your work you suck you know um, and then that leader should be able to say, you know, okay, well, you know, you suck, but this is what I'm going to do to help you out, you know, because, you know, I've been through that and I know what you're going through type of thing. So to me, yeah, that's, you know, I hope, you know, I hope that makes sense. No, that, that makes perfect sense, sir. Thank you for that great answer. So, um, yeah, and I guess this concludes our ninth episode with live with Detachment 075. Thank you to the fellow cadets that accompanied us during this episode. And a very special thank you to um, Master Sergeant Ken Escobar. Uh, thank you for your continued service, even after retiring and staying strong, sir. Thank you. Yeah, well, you know, thank you again, you know, and, uh, you know, and being part of this uh experience you know i really appreciate it and uh you know i hope i was able to inspire you or get to inspire others out there um you know it's just uh, I, you know i really enjoy uh you know seeing cadets like yourselves and young airmen you know uh interested in you know joining the air force or even just the military itself you know because uh you guys are our next generation and leading you know our greatest uh armed forces in the world and you know and I hope that, you know, you're able to take, you know, some of my, my personal thoughts and feelings on things and, uh, you know, kind of take that with you as you move along in your careers or in your endeavors. And, you know, um, again, you know, thank you again. And, you know, I wish you all the best of luck. I really do. And, um, you know, and if there's anything else that, you know, you guys, you know, would like to ask questions or I didn't cover, you know, just definitely reach out to me and I'm, you know, my uh, family member here, Brian, you know, I'm sure he'll reach out to me and, you know, ask some questions, but, you know, you know enjoy, enjoy the Air Force or enjoy the military. Um, and, you know, definitely take care, take care of your people, you know, 
I know you guys are going to be up and coming officers. Um, definitely take care uh, of the people, your NCOs. Definitely take care of them because, uh, you know, they can make or break your career, you know. Um, and you're really the top cover, you know, for those guys because they're out there every day, you know, doing the hard work, of labor. Um, and then, uh, and then for you, for, for you to cover for them and, you know, uh, attend to their needs is really what it's all about. And that's, you know, a lot of the NCOs really appreciate that, you know, um, uh, you know, especially when an officer, you know, comes out from uh, behind their desk and not always directing orders from their desk, you know, you know, they, you know, be out there, be out there with your people and understand what they do, see where they're at, you know, and just be personable with them because, you know, we're all human beings, you know, we're, we're all on the same team, we're all on the same, um, and we're all on the same fight and everything. So that's, you know, uh, my take on things. So again, thank you guys. I appreciate you all. Thank you, sir. It's been a pleasure. Thank, thank you, you so coming, much for sir. coming on Master Sergeant Escobar. Appreciate it.